it's your favorite black ass cousin the one you always look for at the cookout you already know who it is it's monica makita and i'm back for another episode of the pure blackness podcast and this is the podcast where each week we just dive right into the intersection of blackness and everyday life and today i'm so excited because we are going to dive into the intersection of blackness and Afro-Indigenous culture. Like, that's the beauty of who we are as a people. First of all, we are everywhere and we are everything. <laughs> so let's get that understood first. Um, but it's always so important to me to show the different our, our differences. So we have so much variety. We have so much depth. We have so many dynamics. And I think that oftentimes the, the, the limitations that we have in terms of geography <laughs> will separate us at times and, and cause us to forget the connectivity, that cohesion that we have as an African people. So I'm super excited to have an amazing artist join us today. And y'all already know we family around here. So this is our new cousin. So I'm so excited to introduce y'all guys to, um, this is the amazing Sam Guan. <laughs> how Hello. are you today, Hi. honey? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? I am well, I am well. Y'all and I practiced before we started recording to make sure I said it right. <laughs> So it's Sam Guan. So just tell everyone a little bit about um, who you are and where you're from and um, how you identified. So we can, because um, I know that is that is very, very important in this world. We have to identify ourselves before someone identifies us exactly. <laughs> for us. Well, so, yes. we've been, you know, we've been identified with several names over yes. the years. So, yes. you know, um, my name is Sam Guan. I, also, Tanya Paris is my my, I'd say, government name. And um, I'm from Nova Scotia, which is the largest Black settlement in Canada. We're on the East Coast of Canada, and we are above Maine. So as many people think that any dark skin or brown skin has to like be somebody that just came here, uh, you know, in the last, say, 20 years or so in Canada, that's not true. We've been here for well over 400 years documented and mm. some of us can document back to the 1500s and you know before that and um i'm an artist <laughs> I just and i and i say that because um i love all things art yes uh it came about because of activism and uh i've always been an, an artist in the sense of drawing pictures and different things like that but um I was raised at the feet of the Black Panther, Rocky Jones here in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And so I was taught activism from infancy. And my mother was an activist in the seventies. Um, you know, we, we were raised that way. And what I looked at was we didn't have change from, if you look at the 1960s, 1970s, we've had little steps of change, mm. but not, not enough that I would deem change. You know what I mean? Like not, not what they were fighting for. And so what I found is when you were trying to have a conversation with someone and you were an activist, they came at you with aggression because they assumed you were going to be aggressive mm -hmm. automatically before anything else, you were going to come in screaming and hollering and demanding stuff. So they automatically were defensive and their aggressions were up. But as an artist, 
I can pick controversial artwork Absolutely. and have a whole conversation based on racism, oppression, and all of our blackness and not have the same defenses and walls and aggression. So it was a way for me to have a voice within a voice and to create a platform for black indigenous people across Turtle Island. Well, preferably across the world, but I'm just here. So I figured start small. Absolutely. And what I really would what was so inspiring for me in viewing your work is you are very unapologetic about your approach um, with your installations like Peace Through Knowledge and Freedom is No Game. I love that concept. Um, can you just tell everyone a little bit more about some of the installations that you've done and, and some of the things you're working on? Um, well, I'll start with Freedom is No Game because that's what I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. um, that right now I'm the resident and artist resident artist, sorry, for NASCAD University, which is the Nova Scotia School of Art and Design. The department that I am with is the Institute of, of Slavery in Canada. See, a lot of people don't know that Canada had slavery too, and that they were part of building the ships for the transatlantic slave trade. Mm. And Canada's, Canada's always been the, let me see, the, the nice people. Let me say, let me say it like that. that Canada has always been the, the nice country. So slavery didn't fit the narrative of nice Canada. So it was easy to slip it under the rug because America took the brunt of the ugliness of slavery and they took it voluntarily. So because they did that, it was easy for Canada to say, well, that's Americans. That wasn't us. Yeah. Right. And that's what they did. That that's what they did. Um, we were the under we we were the end of the Underground Railroad, but a lot of people ran right back into a different form of slavery right here in Canada, and they weren't prepared for that. Wow! And it's and living here in the states where I mean we're fighting for critical race theory to even just acknowledge slavery at all. Like it's so powerful that you are you know, holding that light to things that we we aren't familiar with. You're, it's absolutely true. Like we always um, look at Canada with the, you know, rose colored glasses of, you know, that was the freedom. Like that's, I mean, even to this day, it's like, you know, Canada is so, it's so everything. There's no racism. There's no anything. Like, like we all view it. I'm, I'm telling you, like it's, well, it's such a different- I lived in the US. I lived in the US for almost 15 years. Mm -hmm. So I was 21 years old and I moved from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Mobile, Alabama. Ooh. So the culture <laughs> shock, the culture shock was amazing. Um, I cried, I think, before I left to my mom because I was like, I'm going to be on the back of somebody's truck. Someone's going to find me hanging from a tree because I got a big mouth <laughs> and I'm going to be in Mobile. And to be honest with you, my experience was different. And um, I wondered why for a long time, like I worked in predominantly white jobs. Mm. Um, they were very quick to hire me, even as a black woman, even though I could see that they weren't so quick to hire the local black people. So I started to ask, but why? Like, why, why is it okay for me to get these high-end jobs? Yes, I was educated. Yes, I had those things. But there were other jobs that I did that didn't require, you know, a university degree. So I was like, we, we worked in a restaurant and I was a server, friend of mine and I, we were the only two black females on the floor. All the black people worked in the kitchen. 
And I was like, wait, what? what? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> They're in the kitchen. And what was funny was we made re more tips than any of the other waitresses on the floor because mm -hmm. we were the only black women. And so, but I didn't understand. I And I was like, is it because my people don't want to be exposed in that way? So they prefer to stay quietly in the kitchen? Or is it because the people that hire them either convince them or are convinced themselves that that's where black people need to be? Mm. You know what I mean? Like in, in that servitude, in that servitude sort of role. And yeah. so I started to pay attention to how people move without saying words. Mm -hmm. And what I will say is America is in your face racist, right? Like if, if they have a problem with you, you know, you got the Karens, you got the Kevins, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know I mean, what I mean? We have you, you know, <laughs> you know, but in Canada, they'll smile, break bread with you mm. and then do you in. So it's like, do you deal with the devil, you know, or the devil you don't? And that, and right? that is, <laughs> talk about the experience of blackness. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. And so I, and honestly, in my life experience, I prefer in your face because then I know what I'm dealing with and I know how to deal with it. And because as, as black women, because I, I do refer to myself as black. Um, the reason being, again, like I said, I was raised in an era um, that black was what we chose. Every other name was given. The black is what we chose. And there was a power in that. So I won't, I won't give up that title for that reason. And so when I do refer to myself, I refer to myself as black indigenous or black Indian, more so than Afro-Indigenous or Afro anything not because of any disrespect of my African heritage because i i accept it and acknowledge it Absolutely. but because of the dysphoria that black people had in north america it gives a different baseline and a different thought process on how we kind of maneuver through life and that is how freedom is no game came about okay, is our maneuvering that. yeah is our maneuvering and our strategic ways of which like we how I explain it to people is black is a is a culture that we here in North America created based on the dysphoria that people of color suffered, whether it's collard greens and cornbread, whether it's, you see what I'm saying, whether, whether it's boiled dinners and hot water cornbread, whether it's there, there's all these different dysphoria that came from slavery, that came from dark skinned Indians being reclassified as Negro. There's a lot of things that we suffered here that maybe other black countries or continents didn't suffer in the same capacity, not making their dysphoria any less, just mm -hmm. different. And so because of that, we survived because we band together and that is what makes us black. Right. Absolutely. So it's it's the culture and our connection starts here in North America. So we created a culture based on being separated. That's what the black culture is. It's a mixture of the Caribbean islands being brought over here into slavery. It's a mixture of the African continent of all different countries coming over mm -hmm. for whatever dysphoria, whether it was the transatlantic slave trade, whether it was, you know what I mean? Whether they came over here looking for a better life and it wasn't what they thought it was. It's a mixture of all of that. But you have a culture coming from where you come from, which is beautiful in itself. 
So for me, everybody taking on the weight of being black kind of waters down the other beautiful brown and copper cultures that we have all over the world. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because ours was based out, was was found out of pain and trauma. And we found beauty in that with head wraps, with our clothing, with mm -hmm. integrating with the indigenous people and being able to mix two cultures together, which created one culture here. And on that note, let's take a quick break. At the intersection of blackness and everyday life, you will find the experience that is the Pure Blackness podcast. It is Black-owned, woman-owned, veteran-owned, and operated by a collective of Black women who are dedicated to amplifying Black voices. If you would like to support our mission, please DM us for advertising and sponsorship opportunities. You can also donate on the Anchor link. Thank you. Just have sort of those elders and um, you know, just those those in our lives that that pour into us to or pour into us and sometimes, you know, grab us by the coattail and say, hey, like, you know, <laughs> how how are you representing us? What, you know, how are you carrying the lineage? So um I do want to just dive a little bit into your background of of um your, you know, your mother's family, your your maternal family, and how all of that ultimately influenced you. And then also dive into um because you are a mother as well yes <laughs> in addition to being an amazing artist you also are um a mother to to your very beautiful beautiful family so um and a grandma and a grandma you are no way yes yeah and a grandma i have a two and a half year old grandson yeah so I, and i also want you to just dive a little bit into that as well um how are you sharing that knowledge with your future generations and how will they continue to keep that lineage from what um uncle george initially poured into <laughs> well we're we're taught to everything that we do today is meant for the next seven generations so mm -hmm. even though i'm painting today and i might get paid for it it's meant to be left here to teach something or show something to the next seven generations so that they're better than what this generation is so everything that i do is community-based everything mm -hmm. that i do is is for brown and black and indigenous women i want to say but not just women men as well mm. um to know that they can do it you know what i mean like i'll i'll be honest and and most people that know me know this i'm from the hood it ain't like i grew up all prissy and right. you know what i'm saying like you know i got money and i did i'm from the hood i grew up in the projects i joined the military at 17 years old to get out of the hood my mm. mother speaks her story so i speak my mother's story freely my mother was a drug addict for almost 20 years she is now clean for 20 years and she's a drug wow. counselor she's also an outreach counselor for That's human trafficking wow. so when i say i'm from the hood I'm from the hood. I'm from the hood with the mother that smoked and the father that was absent and all of that stuff. So it wasn't like um, things were handed to me. Um, what was what was different with me, though, is I my grandmother was always that. And I won't say different because in the black community, that's usually how it goes. And in the indigenous community, um, my grandmother was that solid person, was always that go to was mm -hmm. always, you know what I mean? So a lot of my my first knowledge um, came from her, but she's a residential school survivor. So she was taught to not be Indian and to mm -hmm. be as white assimilated mm -hmm. as she could possibly. And 
I was always her favorite, even though I'm the brownest of of the grandchildren. Yeah. I was her favorite, and I never like you know not that I cared to understand why I was a favorite. Who cared? <laughs> like you know, but. My uncle George later on said, it's probably because you were the brownest and you were the one that looked more like our mom. Like the way society wants us to be seen is a certain image. And we refer to the light-skinned, straight-haired natives as the TV Indians. Because that's the image. That's yeah. the image. That's the <laughs> image that, that TV wants you to have. That is. Whereas me, I'm referred to as a bush Indian, meaning the unpainted or the one the least untainted. Mm. So that's within the culture itself. I, I had an argument with a little disagreement with a girl. She was like, you're not a Bush Indian. And I was like, your last name is Sanchez. I don't think you really have an argument with me on what my indigenous people refer to yeah. me as. Yeah. I said, because like, like, let's keep it real, not saying that Mexicans or even Latino on any level um, is not indigenous to where they're from, but my people are Cree. You can't tell me who I am in my people's eyes. Yeah. Only in your people's eyes who are Spanish. Yeah. So, you know, and so there, there are a lot of arguments. There's lateral racism within the indigenous culture for sure. Um, yeah. for, you know, and for I mean, in the all. black culture, I mean, with, with, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you've experienced that as well yep. with colorism and, and all of that. I mean, it, it, yep. it runs deep for, for all of us. And I think these sort of dialogues are important because I think these, like you're, I'm listening to your experience and it, it parallels so much with so many things that I know. And I think the mm -hmm. more that, like you said, we celebrate our similarities and acknowledge the differences. I think that that will, I mean, we, I, I think that that can be a, a moment of bridging the gap, you know? Well, I mean, for example, people would say to me, oh, I love your hair. It's naturally curly, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. I'm a master stylist. I'm an actual loctician. I prefer coarse C4 hair because I want locks. My yeah. hair gives me them old white nappy looking locks that just look like matted up hair. Yes, I want some nice, clean, tight locks. So I think like, and I, you know, and people... And, and I'm very, very in your face about my blackness and, and about, because my thing is, is I don't care if you like me, but what you will do is respect me. And it doesn't matter to me if you like me one day or the other, I will call out a Karen quickly in your face online. It doesn't matter. This is who I am Monday through Sunday. And then I start over, you know, I've always been taught. My mother taught me to be unfiltered and to always be myself. So even right now, my chief and I bump heads because she went in and wanted to speak at a Black Lives Matter, uh, <laughs> a Black Lives Matter march here in Nova Scotia. And mm -hmm. not only did she want to speak on it, I'll show you. She had the audacity, and I'm just going to show you, to wear this, okay? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I saw that. Um, for Which, by the way, audio, um, she has a t-shirt that says Black Lives Matter and Indigenous Lives Matter. Yeah, so, so you, yeah. you um, send me your inbox, me your address, and I'll send, I'll send you one out. Absolutely. But, and, your, and your size. Um, but she had that on, and I thought, wait now, why are you speaking at a Black Lives Matter event when you only have three Black people in your tribe and you treat us like crap? Ooh. like what like and I called her out I called yeah. her out on Facebook on the platform and um then she went to the person that was running the platform and asked them to delete it 
because she didn't want you know it to be seen and i'm like we're like we're not playing these games anymore with you i don't i i make it very clear we are not our grandparents so the same people that you thought you could beat down then because they weren't allowed to do certain things or they were kept from certain things and you guys had the power to be able to do that you don't anymore um i had the one you know, Caucasian lady, I'll say it that way. One Caucasian lady said something to me out of place and I just looked at her and said, we's allowed to read now, Massa. <laughs> and she didn't know what to say. And I'm like, yeah, don't come for me. I look 24, but I am 49. So be really careful yeah. what you say to me because I have no filter. We've been over this so many times. We've done the marches. We've done, you know, we've, we've done everything in our power to show you who we are. You steal everything from our music to our fashion, to right? And try to make it yours. Um, you know, I, I'm waiting because 30 years from now, Tupac will be white. He started here, <laughs> like, you know. It's, it's like starting, I, it's starting. I saw something where he was very fair skinned and I said, yeah. who is that? <laughs> And I mean, like, you oh, know, you're they, they, I'm like, yeah, they whitewash, you know, <laughs> everything. I, I seen a bus. I like to watch the history channels just because, mm -hmm. but I seen a bus that they did a Cleopatra and, and I was like, that's supposed to be Cleopatra. Was it Cleopatra or Nefertiti? Either one, she was white. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> Whatever one it was, she was white. There. And they were like, yeah. she had, she was of Greek descent. And I was like, even if she was Greek, you do realize there's people in Greece that look like this, right? Yes. <laughs> in Lebanon, there are people that look like this. Yes. So and darker. Part, and <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, and I was like, okay, I mean, I all right. I mean, if you, for me, it's just, I tell people, just educate yourself. We are beautiful. We are everywhere, everywhere, every inch of the world. There's brown, copper-skinned people. And Ooh. we come from so many beautiful different backgrounds and languages. And we have so many different musics and cultures. And I, me personally, I just want to immerse it all if given the opportunity. I would love to be able to sit down in every place and just be able to absorb a little bit of that culture Absolutely. and take it to the next place, you know? Yeah. and and share it with the next place and take a little bit of that and so forth um you know i if i were to come back if someone said to me oh you could come back you die tomorrow you come back exactly how you go i would probably come back four shades darker so i, I <laughs> other, people, other people other people be like oh i might try to be like mm -mm, not me i love the fact that I that I come from two very strong cultures that I come from two groups of people that won't stop that mm -hmm. are survivors that have gone through everything they've gone through and still thrive. There's there's a pride in that. And I get angry when people try to make me choose one or the other, you know, being mixed sometimes they you know, they'll be like, I'll, I'll be talking to my make my family and they'll be like, Oh, you're make and I'm like, No. I'm black enigma. Like you, you now you break, can't that, leave break that down for me. I'm not too familiar with that. <clears throat> okay, Mi'kmaq and Cree are my two indigenous cultures. My okay. my father is black and, and Mi'kmaq. My mom is Cree, Mi'kmaq and Black. So in the in the indigenous culture, if you are of that blood, you are of that blood, right? Mm -hmm. Like even if you have two indigenous parents, if you have two indigenous parents and your mother is say Lakota and your father is Hibachi, you will be Lakota. 
okay. even though you carry Apache blood, right? Mm -hmm. So they, the first thing they say to me is, no, you're Mi'kmaq. Like if you're Mi'kmaq, you're Mi'kmaq, but I'm not, I'm black. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, I am not gonna not own who I am to make you comfortable. That's, that's not how life works. Like if you wanna refer to me as Mi'kmaq and you see me as Mi'kmaq, because that's what you want, you see the Mi'kmaq in me or you see the native in me, mm -hmm. then fine. That's up to you, but that's a you issue. That's not a me issue. So you can't expect me to pigeonhole myself to make you comfortable in your world. It doesn't work like that. Welcome to my world. Absolutely. And I want to dive into yeah. how all that, all that you are goes into your art. Like what yeah. is the inspiration for that? Like, and, and what led you, I mean, I know you mentioned that you have a pretty revolutionary background. Of course you come from very resilient people. Um, but what inspired you to take this route? I mean, cause of course your, your, your colors are beautiful. You could have easily did, you know, watercolor flowers where it's just, you know, <laughs> like as artists, you um, have that license, but what made you make that what I would deem a conscious decision to um, use your art as your revolution. Well, art is actually therapy for me. Mm -hmm. I just happened to. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it really didn't, it really didn't start out for me to sell it. It didn't start out um, for me to even give it away. It was actually a way for me to refocus, relax and, rejuvenate and to be able to do that i i enjoyed it and mm -hmm. i kind of got tricked into art actually to the platform i am my mom called me and she said i need three paintings we're doing an auction it's for the babies so mm -hmm. of course you know it got pulled at the heartstrings and i was like mom i don't paint and she said yes you do you draw painting can't be that much harder I was like, okay, all right. So I went, I grabbed some supplies. I did three uh, pieces. Um, they sold in the first 30 minutes of the auction and I've been an artist ever since. Um, and there's a freedom in it because I can say what I want, how I want, mm -hmm. and it's still deemed beautiful. So there's a there's a freedom in in being able to speak my mind or give a platform because again, even though we've seen so much togetherness for Black Lives Matter and we've seen a lot of turnout in all of these different things, mm -hmm. we still don't have a voice when we're still watching the news and our mm -hmm. own boys are shooting each other and our own girls are, you know, harming each other over men and hurting our kids and and as a community and there's so much trauma mm -hmm. in our communities based on all of the things that we've gone through. And if I can take one person or if one person sees that they can have something different and that they want something different mm -hmm. um, and that how easy it is, it's just a thought, right? That's all it was, was a thought. It was someone giving me a thought that I could do it. When I thought of artists, I thought you had to die or cut one of your ears off in order mm -hmm. to be famous as yeah. an artist, right? Yeah. And it's not that way at all. <laughs> it's not that way at all. I've made more money since doing art than I did as a police officer. I make more money doing art than I did as military police. And as a stylist, uh, as a master stylist, owning my own salon, I make more money now. And I'm happy doing it. 
-hmm. You know what I mean? Like my grandmother always said, do what you love and the money will follow. For me, it's, yeah, it, of course you want to make money. You got to live, you got bills to pay, but really my end game is to create businesses, to be able to generate jobs so that other people are able to do the same things that I do. I would rather invest in other people's business than give them a nine to five job. Right. I would rather someone come to me and say, you know, this is my business idea. And I'm on a few councils that we do uh, small business loans and stuff like that for startups and and things like that. Um, I would rather, you know, walk them through and mentor them through um, than have them work for me. I mean, if they want to work for me and that's what works for them, then that's great. But I would rather want to uplift them into that. Yeah. Like, and I, and I always say like, if you got a hobby, because art was a hobby for me. I mean, I didn't expect to walk into Dalhousie University and they lay $25,000 on the table and say, make us a piece of art. I wasn't (laughs) prepared, you know? And then people were like, how do you feel as an established artist? Well, I don't know yet because I don't think I'm established. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think I'm established. I think I would, for me, established would be no worries of, taking care of what you have to take care of. And I don't know if we as black women will ever be able to do that because we were always trained to worry about what we had to do next. That is true. That is true. Right. So I don't know if I'll, because even if I made a million dollars, I'm sure I would probably be thinking, okay, where can I invest that million? Who can I put it in? Where would it work in the community? And then how can we make a million more so that we're able to invest it back in? You know, it's, it's always something, um, yeah. it's it's definitely in the, not for in me. the same regard I am having to which I do to a lot I have to do this for myself and um a lot of the black women in my life we also have to take that time to to grant ourselves grace and to yes. grant ourselves a moment to celebrate our personal accomplishments so I will not I would be remiss if I didn't I mean the things that you've accomplished I mean, you are the resident artist. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, just everything that you have um, going for yourself, as well as the clothing line. I can mention it, right? Yes, you can. Okay. You can, you can. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oops, is this a spoiler? <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, you you have created um, such a beautiful portfolio that is a reflection of 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 you and and your people and all that you represent. And I think that that, like I said, I would be remiss to just to just act as though that is not a, a huge accomplishment in a world where a lot of us are told, you know, oh, you like get a real job, you know, whenever it comes to, uh, to art. And yeah, I, you know what? At one point in life, I probably would have said the same thing. Yeah, you know, um, Just because I, I was conditioned to by society, you know, to have a career in, mm-hmm the military or have, you know, that nine to five, that, that bread and butter type of, in that aspect. But being an artist for the last, because I came in, I think I was 41 when I decided that this was what I was going to do. And so coming in in later. Beautiful. So you made it at at that age when, I mean, especially as as black women, I mean, we, we kind of get it Cause I mean, you, you could be in your forties and still look like you're in your thirties. So <laughs> you gotta do have that advantage in terms of aesthetics. But, um, I mean, even with, with ageism, it's a lot of things that we run into with being told, you know, like you said, conditioned by society to think that 
you know, you're crazy to start a new career in your 40s. Like, you know, when yeah. in all actuality, this was like, like you said, this was the most uh, profitable, the most beneficial for you. And and it was the most natural. It was, yeah. I'm a, I was always, my mother comes from the 1970s age of Aquarius flower child stage, yeah. right? So I was always taught to go with what's going on at the moment. And if it feels right to you at the moment, then it's right. You know what I mean? Because if everything is pointing to you, like even when you said about giving grace, it's funny, you're the second sister today that said that. And it's from, I turned 50 in May and uh, my best friend and I are going to Japan. That's, it's on my bucket list. Now, granted, I want a kimono and I'm going for the beauty of Japan, but it's also a work trip because I do not believe in spending money without making money that's that's number one right so there's some tips (laughs) yeah there's some tips that the japanese women do for their hair and their skin care and uh, i want to learn some stuff and combine it with some of the other urban knowledge that i have for you know herbs and skin cares that we use within our community as well um and so there's there's always room to learn. I love learning and absorbing energy from other people. So especially if it's positive energy, but I love learning. And so everything that I do will definitely come revert back to work. So I'm like, I'm working, 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 and then I'll go to Japan. that's beautiful that's beautiful i'm i'm already i already know it's gonna be an amazing trip for you oh africa's on the list too i'm just not ready for it yet because i got so many things that i would want to do i gotta be in a space where i know that i'd be able to go for maybe a month same because i'm like there's no way i'm going there for like five days what is that like i'm exactly exactly (laughs) exactly so it's like i gotta be able to be in a position that i can say okay i can take a whole month off Mm -hmm. because i have a lot of friends here and of course they're like i have different nigerian friends i have friends from ghana and everyone's like you know come 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 so you have all these people that you want to meet just for personal reasons, but also for connectivity reasons. And what the other thing for me, I think my first trip will have to be to Sierra Leone. And the reason being is um, most people don't know this, but we're I'm from in Nova Scotia is where the ship left that Marcus Garvey sent the people to back to Africa. Wow. Right. So the it was the people that were here the slaves the loyalists and the maroons that were here in nova scotia that decided to go to sell, start the settlement in africa sierra leone Ooh. and they were hit with a lot of kickback because a lot of you know a lot of the african people were like you're not from africa you know and some of them came back and settled here in nova scotia and started africville okay which is which is a black settlement um that in the 60s i believe either the 60s mid 70s um the actual city tore down because what they did was they put a dump out there like they normally do they put a dump out there they did all these different things and then um bought the land back for like next to nothing and so now they're in the middle of a big lawsuit with the descendants of the people of africville so you know right now they own the land back they got the land itself back Mm -hmm. um but now they want profits of every all the minerals and things that were taken from that actually yes. and as they, um, as they should exactly Absolutely. so there's there's a lot of history here um in nova scotia the maroons built a lot of our um city because they were the the stonemasons that came in and as well as the loyalists there's a large loyalist uh 
descendants of settlements here too. Okay. And most of them mixed with the with the indigenous women here. So 80, I would say about 85% of the indigenous black people in Nova Scotia are First Nations as well. And we refer to Native American or Indian as First Nations here in Canada. So mm -hmm. most of us are, are First Nations black, especially here in Nova Scotia. Um, within 30 minutes of every Native reserve is a black settlement. Wow. So yeah, that, right? that part I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. Wow. And people can say what they want, but the one thing and the one sought after thing that we have in our black community is what? Our mm -hmm. black men. So yes, you know I was, I was like, that there was <laughs> let's let's keep it real. <laughs> let's keep it real. Our black men. So yes, yeah. there is a lot of intermix of indigenous and 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 black communities. Cannot erase the transatlantic slave trade. You can't do it, whether you want to or whether you don't. Yeah. You, you you can't do it because it is a part of history. We know that it happened. Now, it may not have happened in the vast numbers of which they tried to sell us because, again, they were trying to oppress us. So they had to make us think, if we're in a little group of 30, they had to make us think that the whole was enslaved as us because that was how they enslaved us mentally, mm -hmm. right? Because we always did outnumber yeah. the people on the plantation. We always did. So... They had to enslave you mentally first, which was convincing you that everybody that looked like you was also enslaved as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if they tell you that, like if they if they moved you from one side of the country to the other side of the country and you weren't in a territory, if you're in a territory you know nothing about, that displacement enough is able to, for them to enslave you even more mentally, because now you don't even know how to get back to where you came from. Like you're taken out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to get back. You're not familiar. And so it was very easy to do that with indigenous people too. And my thing is, is if they were bringing slaves over or bringing, let me say, captors over to make them slaves mm -hmm. from Africa, then you know they did it to the brown indigenous people that they saw here. They didn't yeah. just say, we love you, you look like them and we're not gonna bother you. It wasn't like that. And my thing is, is if, and I've always wondered this, um, so I guess I have to wait for the time machine to come. The, <laughs> if runaway slaves were able to hide amongst the indigenous people in order to obtain freedom, mm -hmm. wouldn't the indigenous people have to look like the runaway slaves? Come on now, come on now. I mean, I, I'm come I'm on. just saying, right? Talking like you know something look, now. Come on. If you if you look at what is sold as yeah. the native look. Mm -hmm. And you and I could have worked in the big house. I would have been in a, probably a bedwincher or cook. We would like, you know what I mean? And I mean, say yeah, we would have run. Yeah. And and we were hiding. If we there were a lot of tribes that absorbed people that were running from slavery in and married them in and all mm -hmm. of this. And and the slave catchers were looking for them. But if they look like you and I, and they look the way that it's sold that they looked at it, how did we blend in? We wouldn't have blamed, we would have stood out. They would have said, nope, yeah. that's her right there. Right. One with the brown right. hair and the big. Mm -hmm. So we would have had to look like them in order to be hidden amongst them. And I want to I mean, just, just dive into this too, because I also, I always want to get, um, I, I want to know your perspective on it. Um, just speaking of um, 
just <laughs> with everything that you're speaking on now and then just looking at like the current society and how um terms like you know spirit animal and you see in everyone encouraging the use of sage and there are a lot of like symbolism from indigenous people being marketed to like white girls who claim to be um hobo hippie you know like mm -hmm. it's like all of it or is the like, cherokee princess or great great grandmother was a cherokee yeah princess. It, it's like so i guess you know as as a black indigenous woman like is that difficult for you to walk in the stores and see you know dream it's catchers a, and white girls and is it um is this a bit no i'll be honest with you no no it's it's really not as difficult as most people would think normally you would think it would infuriate me it's actually now comedy to me because yeah. <laughs> being, a, being a woman that was raised in a black environment i we see it all the time you know what i mean from elvis presley becoming elvis presley stealing mom mabelie's music right. to you know taking all of our 1950s um music that we had and watering it down and making it their music mm -hmm. to our style of clothes to remember they didn't want the oxtail now oxtail is a delicacy yeah what you didn't <laughs> want it <laughs> you know so it doesn't and i think it's funny because they're just doing what they always did but you have such a strong strong and powerful support system um in in what you do and who you are um and you definitely have have me here in the states i'm sending my <laughs> oh, love look i'm sending my love up to you <laughs> um uh and and just and my support always and everything that you that you do and everything that you represent um we will wrap up here shortly but i do just want you to again just let everybody know where they can find you um as you guys can see with all of the this knowledge this wisdom these gems that were dropped today um this is just a small small inkling of of the power and and the the intelligence that you have and how you fine tune that to to put that into your art is just it's beautiful so if you could just let everybody know you know where they can find you and how um, to support sam guan the artist on instagram or facebook mm -hmm. uh that's the easiest way to to reach me um we will be with the clothing line uh Yes. my first showing will be <laughs> in montreal february 19th it'll be at victoria square which is actually huge i never expected that at all uh but the actual sh first show is july 1st uh here in halifax uh we're doing a black tie event uh mm -hmm. with another company called uh, a non-profit organization called uh invest well it's called nest so the actual gal is called invest in nest and mm -hmm. what we do is we help black and indigenous entrepreneurs start small businesses create small businesses by giving them micro loans uh creating relationships with the banks so that when they are able to, like once they pay back the microloan with us, they've already established links with the banks. So they're able to go back and get larger business loans and they and things like that. Um, and we're also, I'm also uh, debuting my art exhibit that night, which is beginning of something bigger, uh, but I am doing a black and indigenous version of Alice in Wonderland. Wow. And, um, as well as two spirited, I I do have to say that because that's a big part, and I'll explain a little bit as I go. But um, so what I wanted to do with with we're actually doing a play, the play, 
the theater play. But mm -hmm. what I wanted to do was introduce the characters to the public. So I am going to do dolls as well as canvas uh, to introduce the characters the way I see them. Because most people see Alice in Wonderland, and this is an indigenous and black version of Alice, and her name is Ava. It's not Alice. So it's it's okay. it's more the way I describe the play is she walks in Wonderland looking like Nicki Minaj and she leaves Wonderland looking like Erica Badu. Okay. You know, so That's she finds an take on yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, like because in, in the original Alice in Wonderland, she kind of falls down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um with my version, it's it's about a young black woman rising to her higher consciousness. So finding who she is and you know, she goes in the way society expects her to be or what society tells her is beautiful or acceptable or you know what she needs to be as as a brown skinned woman. And Wonderland reminds her very quickly that that's not what beauty is. It's, it's, a, it's about an inner beauty and an inner peace and loving who you are. So little things change, like instead of the Mad Hatter, uh, I have a medicine man. Ooh, okay. So instead like of sitting that. at the table <laughs> having tea, he's actually sitting around the sacred fire with the spirit animals, exchanging the, the, the smoke pipe and telling stories and explaining things. So there, there are significant changes that I made. Tweedledee and Tweedledum is an African warrior and an indigenous warrior. And they live on the same road in identical villages that mirror each other. Again, to show our similarities in our, in our indigeneity versus our separances in them from colonization. Um, and there's a few other things that I'll leave out right now just so that i, I, I can mean, there's a few I mean, other things i am sold i mean yeah. i might need to just come on we've up been there. working <laughs> we've been working on it for quite some time um i got a team of great writers that are, are taking my jumbled thought processes and putting them down to make it work um we have some of the top names here in nova scotia because we have a lot of talent here and because America has the, you know, more of the movie scene and the, and the music scene, a lot of people from Nova Scotia or everybody assumes because you're from Canada, you're from Toronto. Yeah, you can thank which Drake is, for that. Which is not true. Thanks to Drake. Uh, <laughs> uh, right? They automatically assume, but like Eli Gorey, who played um, uh, Muhammad Ali in One Night in Miami by Regina mm -hmm. King. Yeah. He, he was raised here in Nova Scotia on Creighton Street. Yeah. So... This is a young man that, you know, that we went to school with and, you know, he, he's a little younger than me, but he's more my brother's age. But, you know, we have a lot of talent here and uh, I want to showcase that talent. I do understand as an artist, um, I am responsible for, for what for the content, the content, sorry, that I put out. And yeah. I realize that I'm also responsible, though, how people may view it to a certain degree. Um, like with the project for NASCAD, they asked me if I wanted to explain what the piece was, or if I just wanted to be the artist that allowed people to figure it out for themselves. I think it's self-explanatory. Okay. I'm making a jumbo chess set. One is indigenous, one is African. They are not lined up like a regular chess set. They're actually backwards. Mm. Because what is the, is it called? Freedom is no game. Yeah. So if we're not free, we can't play. Therefore, there's no game. So you have to put them back to back to each other because front to front, it's combative and there's a game in it. Mm -hmm. Chess for me is strategic. It's not combative. 
right? So I, yeah. I view things different. So I decided when we set it up, it's it's I'll put their backs to each other. So there is no competition, there is no combative, there is no game because we're all fighting for our freedom. We don't have time to play these games. Even as wonderful as chess is, we don't have time to do that. Um, you know, the Mi'kmaq people here are fighting for their treaty rights to fish. Mm. That's a treaty that was signed in 1752. What do you mean? Yeah. You know, so we, we have other things that we have to be careful for our children. And, and again, for the next seven generations, land and water rights, clean water, you know, think these things. Um, Arguing about our color and whether or not your 16th great grandmother is African or Cherokee is kind of irrelevant. At the end of the day, we're here. And if you want a better life and you want a better environment and we want what's best for our kids, then we teach them that the rest of the world is there and that it's obtainable, right? That everything that you see here isn't just here. It's it's obtainable all over the world and to go. I if To have it my way, I don't want to read about Africa, I want my children and grandchildren to indulge in that energy. I want them to go be able to pick fruit off the tree and eat it and know. And I love that we have a culture with so many ranges of beauty from complexion to hair texture to body shapes, oh, definitely. to phenotypes. Definitely. And I'm like, there's no way that you could tell me that I don't love being black. Like, there's no <laughs> way that you could get. Yes. And I mean, and, and just speaking of that, speaking of, you know, pouring into others and, and empowering others, what is one thing that you, I mean, if you could, you know, speak directly to someone who's, who's viewing what you do and who you are and, or even as someone, cause I mean, to be honest, where I'm from, um, in Virginia, it's a very, um, it's a very historical place. So we do have, we're one of the few places that have true, like I grew up seeing like the real Chickahominy tribe and seeing those things. Right. So I know the appreciation that I have is different because a lot of people didn't have that right there in their hometown. Exactly. But like for I me, lived in Virginia like, Beach. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so I know. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I have friends, you know, who are who are uh, so many different things. Um, but there may be someone, you know, listening to this who. Um, is struggling with with how they identify or like you said they may be being forced to feel like they need to choose or even someone that's like you know I want to represent all of who I am in my art just any if you could just give any if you could give any type of advice or just positive words or affirmations what would that be I would say just stay true to yourself completely and absolutely true to yourself whether it's gender thought process, sexual thought process, or whether it's racial thought process, just be true to yourself. Because if you're not happy, you're not gonna give anybody that happy energy. That's not the energy that you're gonna give. And being true to yourself, is that there's a freedom in that. Because no one can attack you for anything of who you are because you already know who you are. You know what I'm saying? So they can't attack your work. They can't attack your thought process. And being true to yourself is just loving all of you. I think the best love in the entire world is self-love. Mm -hmm. Know what I mean? And and being Black and Indigenous, I come from two of the most, what I would consider two of the most beautiful cultures in the world. So, and, and I look at all the strength that we've had to come over the adversities that we've gone through as a people holy so to be able to come from two different groups and two different groups of survivors mm -hmm. um i'm honored to say the least 
and proud to say it mostly, you know? And that's why I, I put it in everything I do. That's why I make sure everybody knows who I am. Um, I'll wear Kente cloth with a ribbon skirt. As a matter of fact, I have one that I'm wearing. Uh, not right now, but I have one that I'm, I'm making right now um, because that is who I am. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, don't ever under, don't undersell yourself to make somebody else's comfort better for them. I love you it. You know what I mean? I love it. I love it, y'all. Is make sure, listen, y'all, <laughs> this is our new cousin. This is why we need to see how we find our people. <laughs> yeah. We are everywhere. And we Everywhere. are connected. So guys, make sure that you follow her. I'll be sure to put all of her information um, in the bio and shout out as much as I can on social media, because um, this is this is where it starts. This is where we continue to grow um, and just connect with each other. Um, I love this. I mean, we could do this yeah. all day, but I, yeah. <laughs> I won't hold you up. The, but I do just have one last question because this is how we end all of our um, all of our episodes and this should be fun because usually I say like what's your favorite moment of just blackness where either where you were growing up or it was something you've seen on tv or someone that you know that was just like man that is black and I love it but for you I want you to <laughs> give me two examples or one or just whatever comes to mind when you think of just like your happiest most favorite moment of just diving into your blackness it could be something you did or something that you've seen um my i would say my most happiest thoughts of my blackness would be in my grandma's kitchen mm. you know coming in and those those smells and okay. and the feeling the comfort that comes with it knowing that it might be cold outside but you're getting ready to have a big old plate of food that you know is going to be hooked up right Mm -hmm. I think that that's probably my my favorite moment of blackness because it represents so many aspects of who we are. Most of who we are is in our grandma's kitchen. Oh, right. That's powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning in. Again, this is Monica Makita and this is the Pure Blackness podcast where we dive into everything that is our blackness and we read it and we meet it right at the intersection of everyday life so make sure that you guys follow us you support us make sure that you follow sam guan and you support everything that she has going on if you are in nova scotia at all which i, I think we do we do have some reach out there so that's really exciting for me that we were able to get and i will i will throw out if you're not in nova scotia come visit nova scotia you'll be amazed yes at I the mean, black history I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm definitely gonna have to add it onto my um onto my travel list. No, because um I've I've been able to interact with people from all over. And um I have to be honest, every black person that I've met from Canada does really feel like family. And to yeah. me, when I when that happens to me, that's a sign that I need to come, I need to come see about y'all. Like I need to come see. <laughs> I tell everybody it takes a village to raise a child. And one thing we do have in Nova Scotia is that village. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So yes, y'all, thanks again for tuning in. Um, and every, I mean, I can't even, usually I try to recap everything that was said, but man, it was so many gems dropped in this here thing today, girl. I just, listen, man, listen, you know what? I'll say this. We are everywhere 
and we are everything. Yep. Truly, truly love, embrace all of who you are and celebrate your blackness and your other, whatever that other may be each and every single day. Love y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.